Welcome to Public Health Plus, the show after the show where we get very spicy and opinionated. Are you ready, Cass? I am ready, MJ. Okay, so is healthcare a right? Not if you live in the United States. <laughs> right? Every time I run across is healthcare a right, my mind is just like, how is it not? Like, how is it not a right? Like, my mind just doesn't go there. And uh, like you said, every other comparable country thinks healthcare is a right. Only in the United States do we not think healthcare is a right. So, well, the United States is very special on a lot of things. So, oh, oh yes, we're very special. So, before we move on, we need to talk about when people say right, what they mean. So, there's two types of rights. I'm pretty sure I'm, some legal scholar is going to like be very angry about my definition. But basically, <laughs> for the sake of simplicity. There's two types of rights. There's positive rights and there's negative rights. So positive rights are things that you need to actively give someone. The right to marry. Right. Something like that where you need the right to vote. Yeah, yeah, like that. The government needs to give it to you and to make sure that you have it. And there's something called negative right, which is basically the government just needs to make sure that nothing is interfering with your pursuit of this. So, for example, freedom of speech. The government is not going to actively give you freedom of speech. It's more like you have freedom of speech, and if your freedom of speech is infringed on, the government then steps in to make sure that no one infringes on your freedom of speech. But it's not a positive right in the sense that it's given. Like, does that make sense? Am I doing a poor job? I think you got there, summarizing, that there are two ways that the government can protect a right. You can give somebody something, or you can make sure somebody doesn't take it away or keep you from doing it. Right. So when people say, is healthcare a right? What we think is positive, right? That healthcare is something that the government needs to make sure that people have. But for when people say healthcare isn't a right, what they're thinking is negative, right? So they think healthcare is essentially a service. You should have access to this and people shouldn't take your access away, but the government has no obligation providing healthcare like positively. That's the debate about not so much whether it's a right, but whether it's a positive right, something that's actively given, or a negative right, which is something that the government is just like hands off. Which I think is interesting if you think about the context of health, right, and healthcare being a tool to ensure that people have their maximum quality of health, we would think of health as being a negative right, right? Like you you want to make sure that things are not impeding upon someone's health, but in order for someone to have an effective negative right for health, you need to give them the positive right of healthcare. Right. This thing has definitely evolved, but I, I don't know that America just has always been this country that's all about like the free market and capitalism. And it's definitely problematic to think of healthcare that way because because oh, this is going to make me sound like a okay, let me let me think about how to put this that doesn't make me sound like a radical leftist as I want to destroy the world let me think Hold well on. these bonus episodes are supposed to be a little bit more spicy so go right. ahead and show your inner socialist <laughs> my inner socialist well here we go so if we think about the Americans traditional approach to healthcare which is you know free market you're going to have some people that's just left out of the equation and healthcare i mean to me at least is something that's kind of like food and water and shelter it's one of those things that, well, you just need to have it to have like a good and healthy and long life, right? You can't not have healthcare and be healthy. Well, I think it's important for people to remember how we ended up in the healthcare system that we have. Exactly. We talked about this a little bit in a prior episode, but the reason we have healthcare and sort of health insurance tied to employment is because there was a national wage freeze. You couldn't pay people more. And so companies decided to start offering benefits to woo people to work for them. Which, to be fair, makes sense. Right. Health insurance, healthcare was one of those things. And as other countries evolved into a universal system, and, and we have 
some aspects of that with Medicare and Medicaid, we stuck to our sort of antiquated employer-based system, which leaves out a lot of people, right? Go back and check out the episode when we were talking about different ways you could be uninsured and listen to that. But I think it's such important context and helps understand why we frame access to healthcare the way we do, because it's so tied to how we frame access to health insurance. Yeah. It's so tied to that concept that healthcare is a service, right? It's something that you purchase. It's something that you need to work to get access to. Uh, You mentioned this earlier, which is other countries have already accepted that healthcare is a right. It's a very common concept that exists in pretty much every other comparable countries to the United States. In fact, the UN recognized healthcare as the right. And get this, Ironically, the origin of healthcare as a right was in the United States. It was FDR's second bill of rights, which sadly never got passed because he died. And Eleanor Roosevelt took this idea to the UN, and that's where the idea took root, where healthcare is the right. And since then, every other country has accepted it, except for the United States. We have not accepted something that we ourselves have proposed to the UN to be something that needs to be fundamental, which, you know, very on brand for US, I guess. So now, we're going to go through a rapid fire section where we hopefully we both get really opinionated because a fight is more interesting to watch <laughs> than than a peaceful talk, I guess. Wait, I don't know where I was going with that. That was a little bit weird, bud. I was thinking of NASCAR where there's this interview like a long time ago in the 90s where it's like, oh, why do you watch NASCAR? And then this guy was like- For the crashes. Yeah. It's more fun to watch people bleed than to watch people sweat, which I think, oh my God. <laughs> That's, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, NASCAR is just not my thing. No, not my thing either. But anyway, so we're going to go through some arguments and uh, we're going to do our initial take on these arguments. Are you ready? Yeah. Healthcare is not a right because it's not in the Constitution. Oh, my God. Don't get me started on the Constitution. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many things wrong with the Constitution. And, you know, it needs to be thought of as a living and evolving document, recognizing that not every possible thing was thought of at the time. Uh You know, the the Constitution still talks about Black Americans constituting three-fifths of a person, right? Yeah, that's still there, technically. Which, yeah, and it was, you know, all men were created equal, not all people. So, you know, let's let's maybe not not focus too much on what is or isn't in the Constitution. Right. That argument. OK, uh, it will increase cost and taxes. We're already paying. We're already paying for all of this. As we <laughs> talked about in prior episodes, uncompensated care, we're already paying for it. And if we reallocated those services to provide people health care such that they can receive preventative care and primary care and better control of chronic diseases, we would probably spend less. Um, next one. I don't want to pay for other people's bills. We already do. We already do. See, see point previous. <laughs> we already pay for other people's bills in terms of emergency room visits, like you said, uncompensated care. And that's because we have made a system where the emergency room is the safety net. And when you make the emergency room the safety net, everyone goes to the emergency room and then it just blows the system. It's just not an efficient system if you make the emergency room like the bottleneck safety net for everyone. Total side note related to this, um, viewers, viewers, listeners, <laughs> listeners at home might not know that I recently fell and broke my hand slash wrist. And you know, I was in a lot of pain, woke up in the morning after having fallen the night before and thought, you know, I should really go, go get care. So I went to urgent care, First thing in the morning before it opened, there are already 25 people in line ahead of me to wait to get into urgent care. This is urgent care. It's not even the emergency room. It's not even the emergency department. And I was talking with the woman in front of me 
And she was talking about how, you know, oh, everybody's here for COVID, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I fell. I think I broke my hand. She's like, oh, man, you like actually need to be here and you're having to wait. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. And then she said, well, why don't you go to the emergency department? I said, I'm Absolutely pretty not. sure it's going to be worse yep. <laughs> than it is here right now. But just the approach we've taken where, you know, we don't proactively think about issues in sort of providing meaningful access to people. Sure. I could have called my primary care doctor. Sure. I may have gotten an appointment that day. I would have had to go somebody else for x-rays, right? Like a broken hand, like that's what you go to urgent care for, right? right? But like we should have, sorry, I'm I'm now on a soapbox of something totally different. Go like for it. we never should have removed all of the mass testing sites that we had for COVID. Like we are in this space right now where people are spending four hours at an urgent care trying to get a COVID test because people naively thought it was going away, right? And this is how we approach everything else with healthcare. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you know, just like kick the can down the road and eventually, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna be quiet now. Sorry, I'm just really upset no, that it took I, so I think long that's a very valid. care. And then the ladies were- Yeah, sp- how long did you last with a broken wrist? It was just a few hours. Oh my God. They splinted me up and then I got into see an orthopedist and got like an actual cast. But anyway, we just don't approach this as, hey, let's make sure that we have easy access so that it's streamlined. Cheaper. Right? Like, no, let's let's force everybody through these really tight bottlenecks. Yeah. Thank you. I was like, what? I held my hand up. I'm like, what is that called? Bottleneck. Funnel? <laughs> you know, we, we sort of funnel everyone through these choke points, these tight bottlenecks. And then we wonder why people don't go seek care because we made it really hard for people to access care. All right, I'm done. Every doctor that I've spoken to, they say, do not go to the emergency room unless you're actively dying because it is one of the worst places on earth. Yep. Anyway, PSA out there. So next argument, there will be a doctor shortage and it will lower doctor's pay. So this is already conflicting. If there are fewer doctors, they're going to be right. paid more because they're going to be a, a valuable asset. So this is already like a bad argument because it's self-conflicting. So there will be a doctor shortage. This is somewhat merited in that we already have a doctor shortage, but this is just like a general issue that we have. I don't think this is like a specific to like universal healthcare. It's just, we have a doctor shortage, period. I don't think so. We have a severe doctor shortage, primarily primary care physicians, because lots of folks want to specialize in things and we don't have enough medical schools with enough seats to even meet the demand we have right now. So what we should do, rather than saying, let's not give healthcare to everyone, we should open more medical schools. We should have more residency spots because that's also another limiting factor is like residency spots are sponsored. Mm -hmm. Sorry, not sponsored. What is it? Funded by federal money almost. So more medical school, more, more residency spots. Definitely a very complicated issue that we don't want to oversimplify. Next one. It is socialism. People will be lazy. Well, here's the thing that I think a lot of people struggle with, which is the way our current health care system, health insurance system is set up. Generally, you have to work for the most part to get insurance, right? Putting aside Medicare and Medicaid for a moment, you have to be healthy enough to be able to work to get health insurance. And then if you're healthy enough to work, you're less likely to need that health insurance, right? So there are people who have chronic conditions that are poorly managed or may have some other health issue that makes it hard for them to work to get insurance. So then, right, it's just like a vicious cycle. But if you gave people health insurance and they could address some of these underlying health issues, then maybe they would be well enough to work and then, right, they're sort of paying back with their taxes. Yeah, similar with housing first, right? If we take care of their basic needs, they're just going to be better off. And when they're better off, it's just better for everyone when they're better off. 
If we socialize healthcare, what is stopping the government from taking over everything? Another, I think, very poorly thought out argument because I, I never bought into the whole slippery slope thing. Because if you believe in that argument, then it should have happened already by by that definition, right? It's just, yeah, no, I think something that I always find amusing is people don't understand how many things the government already has a hand in. Like there were these protests against the Affordable Care Act and people were carrying around signs saying, get the government out of my Medicare. Medicare is government. Like you, Hello. That's right. There. <laughs> that's, that's what it's from. There is nothing else. So it's just, I think people don't have a good concept of what the government does or doesn't have a hand in already. The next one. The free market should determine the cost, not the government, which First of all, the free market argument doesn't work for healthcare because healthcare doesn't operate on the free market basis. If you have something that's tied to something that people need, if you don't have this, you will die. Then the supplier naturally has leverage. And does that make sense? Absolutely. And again, circling back to Medicare and Medicaid, Medicare is often setting prices for different services, medications, etc. that tons of people utilize and it does not crash the market in any way. And often private insurers will raise the price. Yeah, they'll, they'll either base it on what Medicare does or they'll charge more. And the money that we pay into health insurance, for example, you know, there are rules in place now about how much has to go to actual cost versus paying CEOs and whatnot. But the market is not going to crash if the government sets the prices because they do already in the context of Medicare and Medicaid. Yeah. And also healthcare market just simply is not a free market for, for various reasons that I'm sure we'll get into in a future episode. But that free market argument just doesn't work here because for one, again, the supplier has leverage because it's something that everyone needs. And two, it's relatively a monopoly in a sense that there's very little competition in healthcare rather than like you have a choice between whether I want to get a PC or an Apple. There's really very little choice that people have when it comes to healthcare. And therefore, the free market argument of that people can pick and choose doesn't really apply. And if you can pick and choose, uh, your options are very limited. Next one. This will lead to care rationing and the death panel. So I was not fully woke when the death panel argument was happening. Uh, were you there? You were probably there. I mean, I wasn't there, but yes, I was <laughs> tuned into the conversations at the time. I was too young. Right. So what is the death panel? Just very quick. So the concern was that if people needed certain life-saving treatment and if they were over a certain age, that there would be a panel who would review and decide whether or not somebody could get the treatment. And if you couldn't, then that would lead to certain death. And so that's sort of the concern around uh, the government having too much of a hand and that they might start rationing care and only giving it to young and healthy people. And then old people who've been paying into the taxes and whatnot for a long time wouldn't be able to access life-saving care, which is not even remotely accurate. Thoroughly debunked. Yes. And we see in other countries that this doesn't happen. So I think one thing that sort of feeds into this concern is that and when you look at other countries, sometimes people have to wait to get non-urgent or, you know, sort of non-emergency care for things like, okay, well, if you need a hip replacement, but it's not an urgent thing, it's not like you just fell and broke your hip and your hip is like, you know, out to the side. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, you might have to wait a little bit. And people here, you know, we also have to, you also have to wait for surgeries. Yeah. Right? My dad just had surgery right after Christmas. Yeah, it was not and because of all the COVID patients, it took four months longer than it should have to get him scheduled. So, like, it's just, we, we have to wait now. If people think, well, oh, no, if you change anything, you know, it now we're suddenly going to have to wait. It's a false narrative. Yeah. We, we do, that, we do now. that now. 
Yeah, I reject the premise of the question. Yeah, me too. Every time I hear that, my argument is to them is you waited that long. One, you still got it, and two, nothing happened to you. Right. Right. You could wait that long. Like you didn't get worse. Like they made you wait that long because you could wait that long. Right. Whereas someone else couldn't. Next one. People abuse the system and overuse it, and this is something that I pointed out when we did the bonus on Taiwan's healthcare system is too good, which is people go to the hospital for like the stupidest reason, like I have a cough or I have a scrape on my knee, and yes and no. Like yes, people will naturally want to use it more, but it won't break the system if that makes sense. It might mean we need to allocate more resources to primary care. We might need to do more, you know, patient education to teach them that hey, this is something that you need to come in. This is something you don't need to come in. But this is a problem that we can definitely address and address pretty effectively. Yeah, I think we might expect to see a spike in utilization right after, right? Because there are a lot of people who aren't getting any care at all. Yeah, they just don't want to go because it sucks, or they don't have access, right? They don't. Don't have a, a doctor. They don't have a way to pay for it. And so, if you give people access, yes, there's likely to be a spike in utilization right after that. But it should normalize once folks have had time to get those issues addressed. Yeah, and then this is something that plenty of other universal healthcare systems are dealing with, and they have addressed more or less effectively. I think Taiwan is an outlier in a case that Taiwan's healthcare system is just too good. <laughs> I think Taiwan is still it's still relatively new, right? Just from the nineties. Yeah, ninety six. It's as old as me. Like twenty. I'm turning twenty five. Oh, it's just a little baby. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the most recent ones. And just know that with universal healthcare, it comes with a lot of benefits that would likely outweigh whatever issue that we're dealing with. So all that thick paper files, if it's centralized in a one EHR system, like pretty much all the countries have, that paperwork. And admin costs will go down. And then, as we know, admin costs is like one of the biggest thing that we spend on, which is kind of ridiculous. Thank you for listening to the show after the show. You can expect these more spicy and opinionated episodes every Monday. If you like the show, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help us immensely and spread the word about the show. Join us every Thursday for our main episode, and remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health. <laughs>